Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Who Am I This Time? With me, David Morrissey. Each episode, I'm talking to performers from film, television and theater about one significant role in their career. It might not always be the role they're most famous for, but in each one I'll be trying to find out about the preparation, the excitement and the sense of nostalgia that goes with any key role in an actor's lifetime. Multi-award winning actor David Thewlis burst onto our screens in Mike Lee's Naked in 1983 playing Johnny, a homeless, highly intelligent, embittered, rambling street philosopher. Since then, he has been a constantly changing presence on both film and TV in endlessly diverse projects from the likes of Luke Besson, Ridley Scott, Terence Malick, The Coen Brothers and Charlie Kaufman. I caught up with him earlier this year to talk about his role as Christopher Edwards in Sky Atlantic's brilliant four-part drama, Landscapers. Welcome to the show. And my guest this week is the wonderful David Hewless. And we're talking about the Sky HBO uh, miniseries, Landscapers, in which he played the character Christopher Edwards. David, it's great that you can join us today. Lovely to be here. Very excited to spend an hour with you. And uh, Landscape, honestly, it blew me away because it was such a extraordinary telling of, of a story. Did you know the case beforehand? Did you know the, the, the story it was based on? Uh, no, not at all. Not at all. Surprisingly, because you'd think it would stick in one's memory. I mean, it must have been a, on the news at the time. I, I, you know, I researched it and looked, obviously researched it. Uh, mm-hmm. But I looked it up when I first got the script. And uh, I was amazed that it had passed me by. Maybe I was out of the country or something, but it was such a kind of gothic tale that you think it would have stuck in your head. So it was uh, a married couple, wasn't it? It was yeah. William and Patricia Witchley, and uh, her parents had been murdered. That's right. And yeah. they they disappeared and they came back, I think it was 15 years later or something? I think so, yeah. So that's about a time scale. I think the murder was in 1998 and they were they came back from France and handed themselves in in 2015, 13. Uh, so, yes, 15 years. So, so 2013 is not so long ago no. for one's memory to think. If that was in the news, I, n- I never noticed it. Um, but it was a very... Yeah, so there's there's the straight case, isn't there? You read it, there's the straight case of who they are, what happened to him, what happened to them. But what um, Ed Sinclair, the writer, does is he really blows that fourth wall away. It's not a conventional storytelling process. What did it look like on the page? It it looked very much uh, like 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 you see the finished thing. Actually, not not necessarily the very first draft where Ed. Had done it all alone, but it was suitably, you know, all that was there, the surreality of it and the breaking of the, the fourth wall, et cetera, uh, was certainly there. But I think when Will Sharp came on board, he embraced that and took that even further, given Will's uh, past work. And also some of the restrictions, I think, of, of lockdown made us a little more mm-hmm. uh, inventive, creative in terms of what was going to be possible because we were in full lockdown at the point we made it. It was about this time last year. 
mm-hmm. um, exactly this time last year. Because I was going to ask you that, whether the lockdown dictated the, the, the look of it or whether it just was a happy accident. I, 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 I thought it was more because of the lockdown that we were doing it so sparsely. You know, we, we, we shot it in a place called the Drum Sheds in Enfield, called Enfield Studios. I never heard of them. They're not really mm-hmm. studios. Uh, they're, they, in fact, hold big raves. They're like three big like aircraft hangars. I don't know what they originally were. And they're totally unsuitable for filming in terms of sound and rain and wind. And mm-hmm. it's on an industrial estate out in Enfield, Edmonton. Um, and the first time I went there, I was like, oh, Christ, this is going to be very uncomfortable. It's not at all glamorous. This is, this is just going to be a really tough shoot. And I kind of fell in love with this place. It was really uh, a beautiful, beautiful place by the end because of what went on there, because we were so resourceful. And the, I'd never seen a production come together in this way. And of course, as you know from the programme, you know, the fourth wall is is literally broken down. There's no sort of pretense of saying, here they are in Paris, here they are in, in this beautiful you know, flat or this dodgy flat or whatever. It's actually, you can see it's a set. And in times they walk off the set and they walk yeah, to yeah. another, they'll walk across the studio, you'll see the crew. Yeah. And then there's some wonderful stuff with that they, because she has an obsession with film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that they bond over, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But you know, at the end, it's a it's a western. It's like high yeah. noon or something. It's, it's well, so well, it, li- it literally done. turns into a western. Of course, we you know we we, we become yeah uh, c- cowboys uh, literally. Which which I I think that was a late addition, as far as I remember. I think that came that wasn't in the first draft. I think episode three was lo- or episode four is it was largely the trial. Yeah. And it suddenly became a little bit procedural. And it's like, after all this wonderful kind of flights of fantasy, we're kind of in a courtroom and we have to be in the courtroom. We have to wrap this up and see how it was concluded. But I think, I believe it was Will's idea to then go, well, listen, we need something to cut away to. Why don't we go the whole way and go embrace the surreality and actually have you now as as cowboys? I know it came late, actually, because I remember when I read it, there's, there's, there's two things I've got a phobia about in my career. Uh, one is uh, riding on horses, and um, and the other is American accents. And I thought this was solid gold, safe for that. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, if you do it one second, I've, I've swerved that one. Yeah, exactly. So no, no question about it. And then we got the new draft, and I was running my agent going, "Hang about." I said, there's fucking horses in it now. I'm on a horse. No, I'm only on a horse. I'm on a horse with Olivia, a national treasure, on the back, in danger <laughs> of killing her right around me. And... We're all going to, which we which got cut in the end, but originally we were all going to speak with American accents as well. Oh God! Uh, and I was like, oh Jesus, no, this is this is terrible. I was like, but would we really? Isn't it funnier if we're still Chris and Susan and the police are still the police? We could do it. I, I think there was a consensus among the actors. They're like, can we not? Can we not? Do that? That's just a step too far. It works brilliantly, I have to say. Yeah, because yeah. also there is there's a whole flashback stuff where, and I've read a quote from you that you know. You just put on a wig and sort of, you know, they they filmed it, the younger you. But yeah. physically you change and she changes. Yeah. And there's, a, there's something really beautiful about the fact that it's like your memory, that you're where you are right now in our story and you're thinking back. There's no mm. attempt to sort of go, you know, this is, this is what happened then. It's your memory of what happened then. Absolutely. And it's beautifully yeah. done that. It's black and white and yeah. very noir, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that was at first again when we first read the uh, draft. It was a worry. It's like, well, how are we going to do that? We're going to do the 
you know, the Scorsese Irishman dots on the face, or are we going to mm. have prosthetics, or how are we going to do it? I'm, I mean, I'm 58 now, you know, and I'm like, I'm playing a 23 year old or whatever he is at some point. <laughs> I'm like going, I can't really, honestly. Yeah, you know, but it works. I, I, look, I look after my skin and I, I exercise. Yeah, so do you moisturise? <laughs> I can see. <laughs> you can see but, that. All, but there is a physicality that you both. Do. There's a, like a brightness in your eyes, and there's a gaucheness to your relationship with each other. Yeah, and we as the audience, I think audiences, whether they're becoming more sophisticated or not, doesn't matter. But they're they're accepting of that, and the, the way that the tone is in the whole piece. You suddenly just accept that and go, you know, these are the same actors, they're the they're, they're same age, and they're yeah. just now going back into that time in their life. It's beautifully done. Yeah, and we did, we did that. I think we accepted it and stopped laughing at it. The first time we put all the wigs and the costumes on, obviously it was a bit of a hoot, but, uh, you know, we got serious about it. And I think what I, I seem to remember what I did was is I, I looked at some things I'd done when I was about that age playing anything remotely like that character mm-hmm. uh, accent and sort of social background and anything that I, you know, and I, I found a couple, two or three things where I'm like, Oh, right. He, he could, that could sort of be a version of him. How did I move when I was that age? How did I sound? What was the mm-hmm. timbre of my voice and my kind of level of energy and uh, mannerisms? And, and so that's, that's how I tapped into that rather than, I don't know how else I would have done it actually. Uh, you know, it wasn't a case of doing something like, Remember that? Was it Dennis Potter, uh, Blue mm. Remembered Hills, where you had uh, kind of... Yeah, but they were, they, were, they, were all, they were kids, they, yeah. They were kids. They had yeah. short pants on and there was something about that. But again, something very endearing about that. Yeah. But what, 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 at the heart of the piece is this wonderful love story. I mean, yeah. you do feel that here are two people who, in this crazy world, have found each other. Mm. And although they've something terrible has happened to them, and certainly something very terrible has happened to her, mm. they are holding on to each other in this in this sort of tempest of a life they yeah. have each other yeah I, th- the- I think that's the core of it is really isn't it i think you, you you i think we sold it absolutely as a love story before anything else mm. as a kind of noirish murder thriller uh surreal piece of tv i think it was like it is a love story um, mm. from beginning to end from the very first image to the very last absolutely classic uh image and that's what we hooked on to uh, it's what Olivia and I concentrated on the most and embraced the most. Uh, and, and I think it's useful. Olivia and I are both quite r- romantic people ourselves and are both in sort of very uh, loving, happy marriages. And we both kind of, you know, she adored Ed, who is the writer, of course, yeah. of, of, of this. Uh, you know, she just absolutely adores the man and I absolutely adore my, my wife. And I think so, therefore, we had something to hang on to in that, that we were yeah. like going, we know what it is to be that much in love yeah. um, and and feel like you would do anything for them, uh, you know, short of spilling over. And would you and Olivia, would you sort of, uh, just the two of you, would you sit down and dissect the piece and talk about it and talk about the history of the two of them? Would you... Is it something that you would do privately or would you do that with Will and Ed? Was there much time to sit there and unpack what, what was there? Uh, no, no, we, we, we didn't because I don't think that was either of our styles. Olivia is not very um, um, kind of, you know, wanting to break things down and to be too analytical. She really likes to just do it. She doesn't even want to do many takes or rehearse uh, or talk about it very much at all. I'm not a big one for for lots of rehearsal. Um, 
I find analyzing something useful if depending on the project. Yeah. Um, but with this, because there was, I mean, I mean, the, th- the thing is actually Will, Will, Will Sharp was was the one who was uh, very good at doing all that for us in, in in a sense. But also, he didn't say an awful lot. And we didn't, we didn't. I don't know. I think, I think we both because there was so much there in the script, and because Olivia had lived with this script for so long because mm. of uh, Ed's writing of it. And I found that I didn't want to analyze it too much because it because it. If it's there, because if it's it there was, on the page, and well, it was, yeah. It, yeah, and and also because it was, you know, it is a version. It's our those were all It's very important. This is just our version as the filmmakers' version of the story, and that's why we're breaking the fourth wall. That's why we are appearing as ourselves at times, and why we're admitting this is a TV show. We're not saying this is what happened because we don't know what happened. Because um, there's what is what comes out in the trial which mm. is undoubtedly that these people were guilty, that they did what they did in the way we understand they did it. That was never in doubt. I don't think the evidence is too compelling. At the same time, Christopher and Susan Edwards, uh, in their communications with, um, with Ed, the writer, uh, still maintained the story that you see them give at the beginning, yeah. that she went up there and the mother shot the father and she shot the mother, and, mm-hmm. uh, and they, they stand by it to this day, even though it's really highly, highly implausible. So... And, and there was, was a big sense of responsibility as well in that, is this okay to be doing this? To be, to be taking quite a recent story, very, very recent story, murder story with real victims. And, you know, quite often having a bit of a giggle yeah. um, as well. Um, although I found that as we made it, it wasn't as much as a comedy as I thought it was when I first read it. No, it, but it has, you know, tonally, I think it's perfect. And I just wanted yeah. to talk to you about that because... You know, it has this at times slapsticks, uh, an absurdist sort of uh, tone yeah. to it. Yeah. But at the heart of it, particularly in the interview scenes with you, I think when you're to- and with you and Olivia, when you're taken apart, when you're kept separate. Yeah. There's a beautiful shot of you in the foreground and her in the background, and she sees you. And, yeah. you know, it's obviously a police tactic to keep you apart yeah. and sort of tell each other what the other one has been saying. Mm. But there's a real love and heartbreaking um, wash to that, that you really feel that these people have been through hell together and they need each other. Yeah. And even though the tone is, as I say, all over the place, that that love and need and, and abuse that these people have been through, particularly yes, her, yes, yes. is at the heart of it. And I thought that was brilliantly done. Yes, yes. I mean, I mean, there was, there was a real uh, uh, care taken uh, but great intention also to to talk more about the abuse that she'd suffered as a child mm. than ever made it into the newspapers or made it to court because it was acknowledged. It yeah. was indeed acknowledged by the judge, but since it was so long ago and unprovable, mm. um, it wasn't taken into consideration when they were handed out their sentences. And, of course, we could not be seen as filmmakers to be going to condone saying, hey, even if you're abused as a child, you can go and kill yeah, yeah. whoever abused you. That's, mm. you know, a big responsibility there also. But, mm. uh, you know, everyone can watch this and take what they want from it and believe what they want. And we are offering it up as saying we don't know either, mm. but here's a, here's a new and unique way of telling a story like this, a kind of true crime, sometimes procedural uh, piece of television I thought it was, honestly, I thought it was a game changer. I really did. I watched it and I thought, wow, we're never going to be able to do, 
do that thing again of them. And then this happened and then that happened. And then they went, well, <laughs> you know, we're yeah. just not going to be, this is absolutely, the time structure is very interesting because it's all over the place. Yeah. Now, do you, when you get a time structure like that, do you just take it as it comes, you know, on the Tuesday we're doing the, the bits when I'm 17, on, on, on the Wednesday we're doing the, the modern bits, or do you do you break a script up into a more chronological way? Uh, do you have any way of working through an odd time structure like that? Well, obviously, it's not usually the case that one needs to do such a thing. Um, I, I mean, just preliminary, I, I broke the script down into, into colours with highlighter pens and... Uh, so on, just to, so made it easier to read and know where you were at any in a time structure. In color. a time, right. yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I do, I do that anyway. I'm a big one for highlighting scripts. That I love a highlighter. Yeah, and now because I do it all on PDF now, so it's even better because it's got so many more colours. You know, and you don't you don't get the, the ink smearing if you've got the wrong kind of printer. Uh, but then I still print it out on paper, so it's all. Yeah, sort of, I always and, and, and then I pin pin it on the wall as well. I love uh, I love love paper. Um, so I, I, I did, I don't, I mean, yes, as much as you do anything in terms of knowing where you are when you're shooting out of order, as you do with everything more or less. Um, and I probably do have little charts on the wall, uh, to track things, but we were doing it also very quickly. We shot it. I can't remember the, exactly, but it was quite a quick shoot. Mm-hmm. And therefore we were, as long as makeup and hair would allow shooting several things on the same uh, yeah. day. And, and they weren't in fact, big makeup changes on the whole as you can see, uh, there's a thing I actually take off the wig. There was more yeah. ideas to use the wigs as hats where we would go from room to room and an AD would actually put a wig on our head like a hat or we'd drop it from a, drop it from a distance or something. You know, In That's the end, brilliant. you only see me doing it as a cowboy. It's like, well, listen, when I'm taking the cowboy hat off and taking the gun off, why don't I then take the wig off? This old idea we had of saying they're wigs, obviously they're wigs, but admitting they're wigs and they're wigs that we need to be able to put on and off quick. Like as almost like you do in theatre early and... Of course, there are theatrical elements to it, and it looks like theatre. I mean, massively. I mean, I thought, you know, it was, I did think, God, you could do this on stage. I mean, obviously, yeah, the yeah, cowboy yeah. sequence might be a bit different, but I mean, I did think there Not is... necessarily. Some, you know. <laughs> yeah, there is something here that we know this is a performance. Yeah. And yeah. that's what's wonderful about it. Yeah. There's an element, yeah. and throughout your work, I think, there's there's an element of you needing to trust the creatives, that you're part of the creative team, but their vision is something that you step into. And with this, with with other work that you've done, is there a, there must be a, you must have to have faith in the people around you in order to sort of create. Do you, do you feel that that is something, can you work in isolation or do you have this thing where you've got to be collaborative with people? Uh, yeah, I, I really, I really, I think I really need good directors. I think I can be really quite bad if I don't have a good director. I can make bad decisions myself. And mm-hmm. I see that afterwards and think, what the hell did I you know, why didn't they tell me to stop doing that? Uh, or why did I do this in the first place? Um, but especially with things that are a little more experimental, but I tend to embrace those uh, projects more because that's my own taste. And I think it's just much more interesting. So this obviously landscapers is a, uh, a wonderful case of that. But, you know, I, I, I recently did a thing with Craig Roberts called Eternal Beauty which, with mm-hmm. uh, Sally Hawkins. I did Billy Piper's Rare Beasts. Yeah. In terms of, and, and then, of course, like with Charlie Kaufman, um, um, I did uh, Thinking of Ending Things yeah. with, with Charlie and something like that is so out there that, you know, but 
you're working with Charlie Kaufman, so you're obviously going to hand yourself over entirely to him and trust that he knows what he's doing, which is unnerving because Charlie you, doesn't, doesn't but, always know what he's but doing. But you've always and, pushed yourself. You always have. You've never, I mean, honestly, looking through, I mean, I knew it anyway, but looking through your work, your choice of work is always, it's so brilliantly challenging and sort of you can never pin it down. I mean, where does that come from? Where does that desire to be in, in that type of work? You know, you're never playing it safe, David, are you? I don't know. I've never really thought about that, to be honest. I've no, I wouldn't know if I would look back at my work now if it's if I'd say that more right. than about your own work or anyone. I, I, as, am I? I don't know. I, well, I, I just, I just I'm surprised that, to hear that. Well, it just, I mean, the stuff that you did, let's talk about Amanalisa, for instance, you know, that that's a Charlie Kaplan. That yeah. is such a, it's such an amazing piece of work. And it's asking something of you that's very different. It's a, your, your mm. voicing. I know you've done a bit of animation uh, voice before. Yeah. It's such a wonderful story. I mean, how does that come about? That must be, when that's delivered to you, do you, are you watching the film or are you just reading the script? Has the, has the film already been made? Um, well, that, that, well, the origin of that is very interesting, actually, because um, Charlie, um, well, firstly, Charlie just called me out of the blue. I never met Charlie. Um, right. I obviously knew his work, and he was an authentic hero of mine. I think yeah. as, a, as a screenwriter, I just, you know, we don't know the names of that many screenwriters out there, but Charlie Kaufman is, you know, if anyone knows a screenwriter, it's Charlie Kaufman. And I was a, I don't like this expression, I was a huge fan that people say that. <laughs> It sounds like you've got a poster of him on your wall, you know. <laughs> got a tattoo on you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was a great respecter of his work, and I followed all his work, and I knew all his work well and can quote it, you know. Yeah. Massive fan. <laughs> so did you, think I, it was, did you think it was someone winding you up when you yes, got the call yes, from him? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got the call. Uh, uh, it must not have been long after we worked together, actually, because my daughter had just been born. Right. Uh, and um, so it would be, what was that, 2005? And it, we, we just taken her to France for the first time. And I remember being by the swimming pool and my phone going and it being a number unrecognised and literally just went, hi, this is Charlie Kaufman. Is that David? It's Charlie Kaufman. And I was like, oh, is it? <laughs> Charlie Kaufman, the screenwriter. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, what, really? He's like, yeah. Good, like that. I go, oh, fucking hell. Uh, <laughs> hi, Charlie. How are you doing? And then he goes, he says, uh, you know, Charlie's quite this kind of nervous, kind of quite shy kind of, Fellow. He wasn't kind of brash Hollywood call, you know, he was kind of mm. probably a bit nervous to talk to me. I don't know, but he sounded... Anyway, uh, and he says, I've, I've written something for you. So then I'm like, not only is Charlie Kaufman calling me, he's telling me he's written something that for me and he'd love to me to uh, fly out to New York. To, and he's, it's a stage, it's a play. And I was like, oh, fucking hell, I'm doing theatre again. But it's not a play. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's in fact, a, a, what turned out to be like a live radio play. Um, where I'll jump ahead to what you saw. We rehearsed it in New York, but we did it at UCLA uh, Royce Hall in Los Angeles with just three nights. So what, as a radio play? Yeah. And so, so what you saw, yeah, the three of us, it was always just the three of us. And what they'd done, they did, did this thing called the Theatre of the New Year where Charlie had done something with the Coen brothers, where the Coen brothers had written a piece and Charlie had written a piece. And what you see, if you're in the audience that night, is you see one end of the stage, uh, me, uh, on a high stool, uh, a lectern with a light on a script. Mm -hmm. And the other end of the stage, um, Jennifer Jason Lee, the same, and Tom Noonan next to her. Next to them is Carter Burwell with, a, I think, a string quartet or it may have been right. bigger. It was a several-piece orchestra. 
Carter Burwell, you know, one of the great film composers of, of you know, all the Coen Brothers stuff for a start. Uh, but centre stage in a spotlight, which everyone is actually watching, is the Foley artist, the the, the guy doing the sound effects, doing wow. the, the doors closing, the clip-clop, the tea pouring, the every every sound effect. And he's he's the physicality. Everyone else has sat down. And he's up and about doing everything. You know, at one point my character goes for a piss and he's got a little zip. Oh, he's got brilliant. a squeezy bottle. and Getting in, in and out of the shower and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did, he did it all. And the audience, that's what the theatre was. You know, we were just almost in shadow. Um, so that was that. And, th- and then the second half was it was, uh, it was Meryl Streep, Peter Dinklage and Hope Davis doing a piece called Hope Leaves the Theatre, which began with them as audience members, having just watched Anomalisa. And me and Jennifer had ran around and got into the audience because we wanted to watch it because we'd not seen it because that had been rehearsed separately. And then it began and, and Meryl and Peter started talking about us. They're going like, oh, I just love that. That was great, wasn't it? That Jennifer Jason Lee, I could listen to her read the phone book. And, and this, this is bit, scripted. This, this is something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This wow. is Charlie's written this as well. And, it, and I won't even go into where that goes. We'll spend all day. It becomes like a piece of quantum theatre yeah. because it's and it's called Hope Leaves the Theatre, which actually meant that Hope Davis, the actress playing a character in the audience, mm. left the theatre because Meryl Streep shouted at her because her mobile phone went off. It's complicated. <laughs> yeah. But this so, is what I mean about not safe choices. This is like yes, something yes. that you do. It's that thing of just let's jump in and find out what it is later on sort of yeah, stuff. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And well, that's that's because of obviously, you know, there's some things you do because it's like, well, well I'm not going to turn down a chance to work with a hero yeah. like Charlie. So um, I did that. And that was that. It was only about three performances and we all went our separate ways. And then about, uh, I don't know, 10 years after that, Got a call of Charlie. Didn't really see him in the interim, saying, "Hi, it's Charlie. Uh, remember that thing we did?" I'm like, "Of course I do." Um, somebody <laughs> saw it. <laughs> Peter Dinklage saying my name on. Anyway, um, uh, well, some some people were in the audience that night. They run an animation house, and they want to do it as a stop frame animation. Um, how do you feel about it? And I was actually, I think I was in LA at the time. So I said, well, I'm here, Charlie. He says, well, listen, why don't we get together? We've got the old recording. Jennifer's here. Tom's here. And we'll record it for them. We went to the animation house to watch, look at what they had in mind. And that all looked fantastic. And and we re-recorded it, um, the whole thing, in about two days. But are you watching what you're doing or are you just doing this straight then? We're just doing it straight like we did originally. Right. Uh, but now we're in a radio studio recording it like uh, a, a voiceover, you know, but but mm-hmm. doing it together, which is unusual for animation because animation, you're often not together. You never meet the other actors sometimes, often. Uh, but we're doing it together because of the nature of it and we've done it together and, you know, it's quite intimate and Tom Noonan is playing hundreds of characters. He plays all the other characters, doesn't yeah, he? And that's, yeah. At first, when you watch it, I think... I first thought, well, this is an odd thing because it's the same voice, and then it makes sense, and it's just mm. such a what. There's a there's a moment when you get it, yeah, and when you get it, it's just I screamed <laughs> because you just you just went, oh yes, of course, yeah, and, and it's the, just, the faces are the same. If you then look at all oh, the other puppets, the faces all, have got the same all of face. them, yeah. But Which also, is, it's just such a weird, unstable sort of world that's created in this. Honestly, I mean, yeah. I've seen it a few times, but it's a genius yeah. piece of work. And it's a real syndrome. It's called the Fregoli syndrome. 
Wow. You know, okay. the, hotel is called, the, the hotel is called the Frigoli. Yeah, that's and it's, right. it's where you think everyone in the world is the same person. It's just... Which must, must be awkward sometimes. And, um, and, and of course, then Jennifer Jason Lee's voice speaks mm-hmm. out from this crowd of... of yeah, you know, the monotony. single voice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, yes, to, so, you know, things like that just I adore. And mm-hmm. it's why I like Charlie Kaufman in the first place, because anything he's ever done is out there in the same way. But, you know, just going back, I, I love the films of, of Bunuel. I'm a big yeah. fan of surrealistic art. And, uh, you know, it's, that's what I was trying to get to before about the choices you make in order to sort of, because it stimulates you, it's your mm. world. And, mm. you know, not that you're not playing, you know, the, the expression, you don't play it safe. What you What you do is you choose the things that excite you and the things that challenge you and all that. And it, it, yeah. it comes from what interests you and stimulates you in your own life, what you seek out. Yeah, I suppose so. And, and, and really very much also always never wanting to repeat, never wanting to do something I feel like I've done before. And if I turn things down uh, these days, my usual reason, and it's a sincere reason I give, I go, you know what? I really like this, but I feel like I've done it. Mm-hmm. I've 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 played something very similar to that, yeah. and I don't really want to go there again. Um, and, and I always like to challenge myself to do something completely, completely different. You know, ultimately, I'm a, I'm a absolute a character actor, and and that's what a character actor does, as far as I know. You know, the, my big inspiration, one of the people who made me want to be an actor, was John Hurt, mm. um, and that's why I always thought John was, you know, yeah, um, was. someone who was did so many diverse roles. Yeah. The, and you totally believed it, uh, in 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 all of them. And then I was looking. One of my first jobs was with John, uh, very first jobs, you know. And, and um, uh, that I, I've always kept him in mind. I always thought if I if I was going to be an actor, I'd love to be an actor like him when yeah. I was at drama school. Um, and and I you know I'd like to think in terms of at least I've achieved that in terms of the diversity of roles I've taken on. Because of maybe maybe that's what you're saying. You know, I've always tried to do something different, different, different. And of course, there are many actors who sort of do something quite similar a lot of the time, and that's yeah. fine too. You know, um, and we find you know it's that thing of what we want. You know, so it's it's yeah. no judgment on anybody's path, but yeah. there is something inside that's important to talk about inside what we're discussing at the moment, which is this idea of failure. That sometimes. The, the, you know, we can be risk averse in choices sometimes. And I think it's important to just talk that, you know, going into a job and experiencing it in its moment is so important. Slightly what happens to it afterwards is sort of none of our business in a way. There's just yeah. something about the, 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 the every day and the people we work with and the, 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 the creation in, the, in that very moment that we have, I know you direct and I know you write as well as a novelist, but there's something as an actor where you go in and you're just there for that, you know, not just there for that day, but that day is everything. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And, um, there is, and in a way there is no, not that you can't fail, but that failure isn't what you normally think of it is, you know, it's just, you you become your own sort of um, benchmark in a way. Yeah. Well, I, I always remember jobs by the time I had making them, um, not by, I mean, obviously you remember the end result, and particularly if it's something really good or something really bad, um, mm-hmm. it stays with you for whatever reasons. But I always um, think of, you know, 
the time I had because that's that's was a real part of your life where many different things happened and you met, you know, it's like you meet a whole bunch of completely new people suddenly in one yeah. day. Uh, and then you're with them for a few weeks or a few months and get yeah. very close to them and dislike some people and really fall in love with some people and and then it's all over. And then, yeah. you know, you don't see some of those people ever again. No, uh, especially it's, it's, if it's in other countries. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you sort of you have that thing of have a nice life, you know, with some people who have made films in Australia and I think it's very unlikely I'm gonna see you. Especially yeah. years ago where there was no internet and social media where you now you can keep in touch a little bit. Yeah. It's um, a very it's, it's that's our profession though, isn't it? Yeah, and it's and it's it's a, it's the saddest thing. You see, really there is a death death sad I get very melancholy towards the end of things, even if I'm not at a very good time. Because you know, 99% of film crews are lovely, aren't they? I mean, they're yeah. beautiful, beautiful people because they wouldn't survive in this industry if they weren't great people and great at making a, a family. A hundred percent. And also when you've not had a good time, you've all been through it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, you get to yeah. the end of a job and it's been a tough job, but you've all been in the yeah. trenches together and seen yeah. it all together. And it's yeah. something that is very bonding. Yeah. And talking and that, that, about it, it doesn't I, matter. Yeah, go on. I was just going to bring up the island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, yes. Which, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's uh, it's a fascinating subject around it. I mean, there's obviously recently there was the Val Kilmer documentary that came yes, out and there's yes. another great documentary called Lost Soul, which is about the yeah. making of it as well. Yeah. Um, that that was a bit of an experience for you, wasn't it? Well, can you just talk, talk me through how that happened? Well, that's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> It was, bit, it, it, was, <laughs> it was one of the most unforgettable five months of my entire life, yeah. And, and and fucking completely awful and completely unforgettable and fantastic and full of memories that I'm so glad happened to me. When I was in the thick of it, at times I felt like I'd really lost my mind and, and you know, didn't want to carry on. It was just – and it, so therefore it's very hard to – summarize all that. I always mean to write something about this. In fact, I have written, I've written a sort of 60 page short story about it that I can't, I wasn't able to publish at the time. So it used the real names and a lot of quite intimate information about um, that. And, and my publisher said, well, can't you change the names? And I was going to change it to like Kyle Vilma and uh, <laughs> Brandon Marlowe. I think. Yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's obviously what it's about. Um, um, but I, well, there, there you go. That, why do you get involved in something like that? The, the reason I got involved with that was obviously the the, the carrot of uh, Marlon Brando, uh, the idea of turning down a film uh, with with Marlon Brando. But that it, it, how it happened was very sudden because um, uh, I remember telling you this on uh, on our film. Um, I, I'd been to the cinema with my girlfriend, and um, we saw Waterworld. With Kevin Costner, and back then that was the most expensive film ever made. And I remember thinking it was a pile of fucking crap and absolutely just terrible in every every way. I just hated it. And and so did my girlfriend. We walked back through the park, going like, "What the hell was that? I, if that if that's fucking Hollywood." And I, by this time, I was getting offered some Hollywood films. It was post Naked, you know. So, and I was I was being offered some big studio films. And I remember what stuck to my head was stuck to my mind the most was. Um, at the very end of the film, as I remember it now, I've never seen it again. I was thinking of watching it again recently, actually. Uh, is Kevin Costner is waving goodbye on a raft to, to the love interest. I can't remember who the actress was. Um, but because he's half fish, isn't he? He's got gills. Yeah. 
Uh, and, so, and so he can't stay with this woman and her child, even though they're in love, and he has to go back to his fishy ways on the raft and he's waving goodbye. And we don't get the feeling he's going to come back. And I remember thinking, well, what? Look, he could come back. He could, he could just sail around the coast, you know, and <laughs> come ashore. He can breathe on land. He's not a fish. He's not actually a fish. He's not a mermaid. He's a bloke. I think you're uh, overthinking that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this, is, this is what we were talking about as we're coming back through the park. Run. And that's it. That's Hollywood. That's the most expensive film I've ever made. I'm never going to do every, any Hollywood film again. I'm going to just concentrate on European cinema. I'm going to direct. I'm going to write. I'm going to do independent sort of, you know, I'm going to be one of those actors who just does the, like, the cool stuff. And why did I ever do any Hollywood film at all? And I swear, as we got through the doors, the key was in the door, the phone was ringing. And this was, you know, not before answer machines. Anyway, I, I ran to the phone and picked it up and it was my agent saying, you've just been offered a, it was nearly midnight, uh, being offered a film. You should have known then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've just been offered a film. You've just been offered the lead part. This is how you've got told. You've just been offered the lead part in a big, big new movie with Marlon Brando. And I was like, what? Yeah, that's a big lead part. I said, why are you calling me? It's like nearly midnight. He said, because you, they, they want an answer now. I said, what do you mean they want an answer now? I've just, I'm going to bed. What do you mean? He said, because the, the, the uh, one actor has walked up. They fired the original director. The actor who was playing uh, one of the parts has, has walked off, has had a breakdown or something. We're not quite sure what's happened to him, but he's walked off it. Val Kilmer is going through. As Val, Val Kilmer's in it, uh, Marlon Brando. Uh, the new director is John Frankenheimer, who did The Manchurian Candidate and Seconds and all kinds of, you know, French Connection too, and, and uh, just a, a legend. Um, and... Um, but you're the first choice. But if you say no, the second choice is definitely going to say yes. But he needs to know now because he's been offered something else, LA time. And I'm like, so, well, can I read? What is, what is the film? He says, it's the island of Dr. Moreau. Now, I did HG Wells for uh, A-level, so I knew what it was. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, right. I said, I know that story. Hang about. That's like with monsters and stuff, isn't it? That's like kind of cross-cloning animals and people. And... um they said, yeah, yeah. I said, What's, how are they going to do that? So Stan Winston is doing the creature effects. I'm like, well, who's the best in the business? And I was like, this is all sounding very, very good. I said, well, can they get the script to me? I said, well, we can send you a few pages on the fax machine. This is how long ago it was. It was 1994, I think, five. We'll fax a few pages now. <laughs> all this time, my girlfriend's looking at me going, what, what's, what's, what's going on? <laughs> And I, was, I think only about 10 minutes before I said, I'll never work in Hollywood again. Here I am, 10 minutes later going, I might be going to work in Hollywood or, you know, in the, Hollywood, in the world of Hollywood. And I was like, they're asking me. And literally I had to get on a plane. This is nearly midnight. I had to get on a plane to Australia for the next five months at eight o'clock that following morning if I said yes. Mm. And I talked to my girlfriend and I said, uh, well, listen, you know, it's not that long. And I said, it's Marlon Brando. I can't. I can't afford to turn down the chance of a leading part with Marlon and Brando. I mean, of course, I've got to go for it, but you know, uh, we, we'll we'll sort it out. And uh, and I got on that plane. Yeah. And um, I mean, I mean, to cut to cut a lot, very, 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 very long story short, or it's quite long already. <laughs> Within about three weeks, we were shooting the end of the film. The end of the film. If you've ever seen the film, the last image of the film is me. <laughs> On a on a raft, waving, waving goodbye off the coast of the island, waving goodbye to the island. Only I'm waving goodbye to a monkey in a Hawaiian shirt and a baseball bat, 
and Ron Perlman dressed as a goat. <laughs> and I remember thinking, it's probably the same bloody raft. You know, they've probably just got a stockpile of rafts out in Hollywood. <laughs> and they've got, let's get that raft from Waterworld and put Thewlis on it. But and, uh, I swear to God, that's, you know, it's I mean, just, a lot, a lot happened in between then as well. And for the next five months. We'll be back with more chat after this. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hi, you're listening to Who Am I This Time with me, David Morrissey. Now, back to this week's episode. But what I think is brilliant is what you said at the beginning, which is, you know, it was a nightmare when you're in it, it's a nightmare. But God, you learn a lot from those nightmares, don't you? I mean, you learn, they're, they're the jobs that you go, wow, I'm learning something here. Even if it is just the lesson of just keep it in the day, there's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and taking, you know, you take your work seriously, but just don't take yourself too seriously inside all about how can you? I mean, it's madness, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I remember thinking I, I didn't realise that that could happen. I'd never seen it happen. I've never really seen it happen since. No. But that that could happen to a major motion picture with, with I don't know, I can't remember what the budget was, but it was several, several yeah. million, you know. It was a big movie. Uh, and to see and to realise that nobody was in control of it. Because yeah. since Frankenheimer took it over, uh, who, who, for all he was a legend, I did not, end up liking at all mm-hmm. we'll go into that but he wasn't my favorite human being and um and he i think was doing it for the tax uh but Val, also doing it also he certainly took in the documentary says you know it was brando i mean everyone well, well there. yeah oh yeah everyone's there for brando no, everyone, yeah, everyone's yeah, there yeah, because yeah. you've got one of the greatest actors of his yeah. generation whether yeah. he's he's turned up or not you know but he's physically there yeah and nearly yeah. did nearly didn't turn up you know yeah. we spent a long time awful long time we lost 14 days of shooting just for people not coming out of their trailer that is uh, great just for including me once I, 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 <laughs> wow uh, by the end i caught the bad habit i'm not going out of my trailer because they, they were trying to shoot something so so ridiculous that even i got like no no. But did I'm you not, ever I'm get to the point where you thought, fuck this as far as the profession was concerned? Did you ever think I never want to 
Or did you just think this is the type of movie I never want to do again? I never want to be in this type of madness again. Well, yeah, sure. And and that was um, an example of why I thought I didn't want to really work in Hollywood on those big movies because I, I'd, I'd worked on a couple by then and I hadn't really enjoyed them in the same way I enjoyed stuff back at home, which are much more intimate and with British crews and, you know, the humour and the banter on a lovely British set and, and and the collaboration on the scale of films I was doing before that, and there's no there's not much collaboration on films of that no. scale. Certainly, the the ones I'd done up to that point, uh, are not interestingly after that, I did a film called uh, Seven Years in Tibet, yeah, uh, with uh, with a, a French director Jean Jacquinot and uh, Brad Pitt, and that actually that was actually a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shot it in um, Argentina and British Columbia, and it was a big travelling circus about. Um, Mountaineers and the Dalai Lama. Mm. Um, Beautiful. Yeah, that 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 was that was that was that kind of changed my mind. So I did that more or less almost straight after, and and then I came back to Britain and I then did a film out in Belfast called Divorcing Jack. Yeah, and had the funniest time. And it's actually also a good film. I must watch it. It is a good film. It's great. It's film, Divorce it? yeah. and Jack. You got yeah. nominated for that, didn't you? I think you did. You I got an Empire it? Award, yeah, for, yeah. for, for nominated for it. Yeah, That's a great I, film. Yeah, I must watch I keep telling my wife she's going to show it. Yeah. She, she's never seen it. Because I was like, I, you know, because I, 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 I always wanted to do comedies as well. And I never get offered many comedies. Mm. Uh, it's changed a bit more recently. But back then, it was, I think after Naked, I got seen as this kind of guy who's just like, you play psychopaths <laughs> or you play. You yeah. know the bad guy, or or you play extremely good men, like mm. like in in Seven Years in Tibet or in uh, Kingdom of Heaven. I play like or, or um, Restoration. I play saintly, mm. very good, kindly, or good English men. You know, yeah. yeah, I do a good saint. I do a saint or a psychopath, basically. <laughs> uh, and um, you know, in Harry Potter, I'm an extremely lovely, good man in that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and it's it's funny how it, it it's it fell into these two camps. Um, but, I, but I loved it, yeah, just Divorcing Jack because it was just a great, great, wonderfully written comedy and, uh, you know, great cast and a yeah. wonderful director. And I just remember we just laughed and laughed and laughed. We were laughing so much sometimes that we forgot to <laughs> carry on filming, you know. We just get into all telling stories and they go, hang about, we should, we've not, you know, we've got another two shots. What, three, three jobs in a row and they couldn't be more different. You know, and they're they're yeah. asking something completely different out for you on all of those um, different levels. Yeah, I mean, I think that's wonderful. I, the, yeah. the difficulty, I think, is there's your professional life, and then there's your private life, isn't it? There? There's that thing of how you juggle those things and how you sort of because there is something that we are, you know, we're sort of traveling players in a way, aren't we? You know, I love that sense of you know having a pack bag in my, you know, that phone call that you got in New York. I yeah. always have, you know, I have a bag pack, which if, I, if they need me tomorrow, I'm sort of ready yeah. to go, really. You know, yeah. and, and I love that. I really yeah. love that. But it is difficult for people around us sometimes, isn't it? Oh, yeah, my, my God, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've suffered that quite a lot. And, you know, several relationships have suffered for that. And, um, um, and especially, I've, you know, relationships with actresses. And that's also, you know, mm-hmm. because they've got the same thing and you're all off. Yeah. And, and often things break down because you're just not seeing each other because if you're both successful and working abroad a lot. Mm. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a really, it's a really uh, tricky it's a one in terms one. of your personal life. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. And where, where, was it, where, where was this desire born for you about acting? When, 
I mean, you grew up in Blackpool. I mean, where was the, when did you think, you know what, I might try acting. Where was that for you? Well, I was telling this to the other day. I think I was telling this to my daughter. Um, uh, the very, it, I, it started by mistake, by mishearing something. Because I was at school. I'd never done any acting at all. In fact, I, I got up for like the nativity when I was like six or seven, you know, like that. Right. And I remember going up for a shepherd and me going line going, he truly has been born. They're going, what? I go, he truly is born. I go, what? I go, he truly is born. Now, I go next. And I, I thought, I can't say it any louder. And I totally rejected. And maybe the seed was built then, but I'll fucking show you. Yeah. But, but, um, but when I was about 15, 16, my friend Cliff uh, uh, got involved with a drama club at school. And he said, we're doing this play called Old King Cole, which turned out to be a Ken Campbell play. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, there's a part called uh, The Silver Fiddler. Why don't you, I'm, I'm going to be in that, and why don't you be in that? And I thought, that sounds quite cool, that, The Silver Fiddler. Yeah. I thought it sounded just cool. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll come along and uh, see what's going on in the drama club. Silver Fiddler, I think that's a... Uh... Anyway, I got there, and it turned out it wasn't The Silver Fiddler, it was Cyril The Fiddler. <laughs> uh, uh, it turned out to be a bit of a, not that good a part. Right. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and not at all interesting in any way. Not you were imagining yourself in a, not cool. like in a, go, a silver suit, yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Like, it sounds like a Marvel character, a silver fiddler. <laughs> anyway, I did, but I ended up playing uh, not not Cyril the Fiddler, but a character called Baron Wad, who, who, so the first time I come on stage, I'm in a kilt and I'm wearing a big Scottish beret that's got a, a diameter of about three foot. And uh, I'm chasing a sausage on the end of a string. And my first line was, What's that? A sausage, a flying sausage, which I did as an impression of Max Wall. If anyone right. knows who Max Wall was, yeah, was. The, man, the boy with unruly feet. Yes, and yeah. that's why I was like a sausage, a flying sausage, and that's the first thing I ever said. And and it got a big laugh, and uh, yeah. and it, the whole thing went down very well. And then the drama teacher started telling me like, "You're really good at this, Wheeler," as I was called then, oh. and um, and I was like, "Oh, I've not really been told I was really good at something before." Yeah. Uh, and so I, I did the next play, which was strangely a, a musical called Schizophrenia, rather tastelessly. It was the same time as Quadrophenia, and our, our drama <laughs> teacher wrote something called Schizophrenia, and it was like in very poor taste. God. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I got I got the book then, and then went to uh, drama school and auditioned at drama school, and got in in London, and took it from there. You know. And was it was leaving drama school was. It, an easy progression into the profession. I mean, it seems to me just. It, it was. I got. I got. I got worked. quite lucky. Yeah, I did a. Pl- I did. I did a couple of commercials straight away. So mm. uh, that was kind of, which is funny and, uh, you know, it's very strange. Let's not digress onto them. But um, I, but so I, I made a bit of money, and then I, I got offered a play, a very good play called uh, Body Holly at the Regal. It was a lead That's part, right. and it was a. a Is that a, a Greenwich? Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Oh, my yeah. God. That's yeah. well Even I couldn't remember that. That's right. And, and then it went and toured around the country. So it was a wonderful theatre experience, lead part, and uh, it was very funny. Uh, so, you know, big laughs and, and really just enjoyed every, every second of it. And then I got picked out from that to do a sitcom called Valentine Park uh, because they'd seen this play. Uh, I said, you're very, very funny. Very, very, uh, you know, it's great stuff. Uh, but then this Valentine part wasn't really, wasn't written that well. Right. And it wasn't that funny. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, it's all right. I can be funny if it's if the material's funny. It has to be. Oh, just, just be funny. <laughs> yeah. So then I just ended up being doing pratfalls and just doing physical comedy in that because the material wasn't there. Uh, but that, you know, that got me 
kicked off. And I kind of thought that's where I was headed. I thought he was going to be a bit of a, you know, Nicholas Linders type lanky, dopey. Mm-hmm. And, and you were in Only Fools and Horses, right? I did, yeah, I did. A, I did an were you in the band, Fools. weren't you? Yes, yes. <laughs> We got on top, top of the pops. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but that's how I, th- I thought, well, that's, that's going to be great. I'm going to be just to be on telly back then, you know, yeah, yeah. it was, was, you know, amazing just to, to, just to do anything. Um, so where did it change for you? I mean, obviously naked was a change, but before then, was it life is sweet? Was it, was it changing? No, it, it, it changed with um, uh, Paul Greengrass. I did Paul Greengrass's first film called Resurrected. Resurrected. Yeah. yeah. And um, that was a massive change for me. It's Paul Greengrass's first film. It was, yeah. Uh, and he'd come from documentary. And I'd no, I don't think he'll mind me saying this. He had no idea how to direct. Well, I did uh, his next uh, one. Oh, I did, did it? Yeah, I did. Uh, it, was called, it was called The One That Got Away. It might, it might be one, two, three down there. It was about... Yeah. Um, it was about Chris Ryan and uh, Andy McNabb and that thing. And oh, yeah, yes, yes. he, uh, he, you know, obviously worked with a couple of actors by then. So he was, yeah. up, but likewise, he, and again, I don't think you'd mind saying he was like learning about actors at that yeah, time, yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah, Doc, very much. he had a great feeling for story and a great feel. And as obviously now we see where he's gone with that brilliantly. Well, he's, he's one of the best directors for realism there is now. Oh, just I mean, 100%. It's, it's, you know, yeah. I mean, fucking amazing what he's done. Yeah. Uh, but I remember him sitting with me and what was it, Rudy Davis, mm-hmm. and we ran, he was playing my girlfriend in the film, and um, we ran a scene. And I remember he just said, okay, let's go that again. Now that first line, David, just say the first three words quite quick and then leave about a two-second gap and then go up a little bit at the end pause a little bit and then come down at the end. And he directed it like that for about three minutes where we were trying to follow this until I eventually went, Paul, do you mind me saying this? I said, that's not really how you direct. Yeah. And he's like, isn't it? And I said, no, <laughs> not what really. do I do then? Not really. He said, I'm really sorry, I've never met an actor before. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that explains a lot. And he said, what do you do? I said, well, we can sit and talk about it for a while, you know, and talk about who these people are and, and then we can, uh, you know, talk about who they, where they come from and, and how we relate to each other. We can just get to know each other for a start, you know, uh-huh. um, and, and, and then do it and then try different things and maybe try some improvisation and try and, you know, yeah. do all the scenes. And, and then he, he relaxed and was wonderful. I loved him. And yeah. uh, we had a great time making, making the movie. But it, it was, uh, and that, that changed for me because it took me away from TV comedy or TV, whatever I was going to be It's a doing. brilliant performance as well. But, I mean, it's yeah. a really, it's a difficult film to watch. It's I very mean, difficult, yeah. True very story. much yeah. like um, a lot of Paul's work. You know, it's essential viewing, but difficult yeah. viewing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I watched it, actually, I watched it about a year ago. Actually. Oh, did you? I, yeah, I thought it was. It was re-released, wasn't it, quite recently? Yeah, I thought it was brilliant, actually. And, and like you, but also with Paul's work, you can see certainly from Paul's point of view, you can see where he's going and that sort of birth of his sort of yeah. technique and stuff like that. I think yeah, really, yeah. And that was really all good. apparent when we got into the filming of it, like shooting the battle scenes or shooting just the stuff at the airport, his documentary instincts mm-hmm. kicked in and then he he was the king then. It was like, you don't need to talk about how to do dialogue no, now. It's no, like no, he's, he's throwing that camera around and he's working yeah. with real money. And he's writing and, you he's, know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's he's script. running out onto a real runway and got, mm-hmm. getting yeah. at the bottom of a plane to shoot the real people getting off the plane, even though the people are... No, he's, he's not allowed he's, on the runway, you know. Like, no, he, he knows yeah. the world in action taught him a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you've exactly. directed yourself, haven't you? You've do, you've you've done uh, directing. I mean, what do you, from a director's 
as an actor, what do you require from a director? I mean, you've worked with, you know, you've worked with Terence Malick, the Coen brothers, Alfonso Caron, you know, Mike Lee, Ridley Scott. I mean, what is what is it that you require from them and what do you try to bring to a set that you're directing on? I Well, I should, I should preempt that with... Um... I, I've, I've only directed two things. I directed a short film called Hello, 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 and I, I shot yeah. that with Kathy Burke and Bob Pugh yeah. based on something uh, I wrote. Uh, and that felt very easy. I also had uh, Seamus McGarvey shooting it as one of the world's great cinematographers now, one of his early, early works. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it was very easy, and I knew Kath very well and Bob Pugh, and, and I didn't have to direct those two, and it all took care of itself, and Seamus helped me shoot and like the whole thing and it was really very happy with the result and it got nominated for a BAFTA and I was like this is great this, Baby, this is, I'm going to direct I think I'd already done that before the Dr Moreau so I was like that's also something I can go and do is right. making films I got my first film I got nominated for a BAFTA how hard can it be I then made in 2001 a, a feature that I'd written uh, called Cheeky which I didn't enjoy at all uh, yeah. it's not right. That's not right to say I didn't enjoy it at all. It's, it's, it's really, I really don't like it. Uh, I don't think I succeeded at all with it. I had some wonderful people in it, including Eddie Martin, mm-hmm. um, Ian Hart, Leslie Sharp, Mark Benton, uh, uh, countless people, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. And did um, the experience mean that you didn't want to do it again? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I don't think I will. I've, I've been asked quite recently actually, to do something, but I, don't, I just don't think it's me. I, don't, I didn't grow up wanting to be a director, going right. like, I will. And I think you have to, to, to be a director. Oh, you, God, you have to be yeah. in your blood. Like young, young Craig, lovely Craig Roberts, uh, you know, who's the, if you don't know him, the actor from Submarine, who's now mm-hmm. on his third film, he's just done a film with Mark Rylance. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like that, you know, he's, 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 he's just, that's his passion. And he studied every film ever made and he's studied exactly. And, and I've never been like that. I've never been that analytical. I have with books, which is why I've, I've written uh, and with books, because that's more my passion in terms yeah. of doing something outside. of uh, But I found it far too stressful, really. No. Um, I just, I just found it a lot, a lot of work that I wasn't naturally inclined to. And I wasn't sure I was that good at it. I wasn't sure I was that good at communicating with the actors what I wanted. I'm not very good at thinking fast on my feet. Right. Uh, which with writing a novel, you don't have to be, but you have to make split second decisions making a film. And I don't think that's a strength I have. And um, also, you know, with the best will in the world as a director, even though, you you know, you can be the auteur, but there are, there is a collaborative nature around it, isn't there? Yeah. And I think if you're a writer, obviously you have editors and stuff, but you're the creative person right in the center of it and you're in control of it. Yeah. And, um, but as an actor, then what are you looking for, for a director to give you when you're on a film set? What are you, what are you hoping that they bring to you in order for you to be able to create? I mean, that story about Paul Greengrass, when you stop him and say, you know what, I don't think that's how you direct. I mean, that takes someone who knows what they're doing to, Say that sentence a little well, bit, even well, though you're well, quite not, young. Yeah, I was going to say, not necessarily. <laughs> I didn't have that much experience then, uh, but it was it was so clearly wrong. Yeah, that, uh, I had the and, and Paul was a very lovely man. I didn't feel you know intimidated by him. Um, um, so that was just a natural. It was, it was a funny moment. It wasn't. I wasn't challenging him. Mm. Um, I think it's quite simple. Well, firstly, you have to trust them, um, uh, directors, and. What I always really appreciate is someone who can give a very good, useful note quickly in few mm. words, but it's perfect. Yeah. Because you don't want a big conversation. 
sometimes when you're in the middle of it, in between takes, I'm talking, you know, just you've done two takes and it's all right, it's getting there, but you're not quite sure what you're going to do next. And some directors will leave you alone and you'll try and sort it out yourself and you'll try lots of different things. Mm-hmm. And then I don't mind doing lots of takes if you, you know, it's something where you can try lots of things. And I do like to try different things between takes. Um, but um, someone who could just step in and say just one very simple thing. I remember a good example is, is, uh, is Mike Hoffman when I was doing restoration. And I was doing a scene with Robert Downey Jr. And we were just having an argument. And, and he just came in and said very simply, at what point does he realise he's lost the argument? Uh, and that was it, you know, and that, and that was enough. And they go, yes, absolutely, of course, yeah, right, let's go. Yeah. And we did it, and, then, and the next take was significantly different because I had that little seed planted in my head. And some directors can do that brilliantly. Some can't at all. Some are really not. Some quite big people are not great directors for actors, I'm sure you've come across 100%. It. I mean, you know, I've worked with directors who, you know, you would kill people to go and work for, yeah. and I would do that again. Yeah. But God, they, they don't know what actors do. They're not no, interested no. in actors no. at all. You yeah. know, and, and some of them admit it, you know. Yeah. And go, and do, they'll it. just leave, leave you alone and go, like, I, I, I believe that casting is half the battle. That's a big one they tell you. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I've, I've cast you, you do it now. And that's fair enough. It's not wrong. But also, you know, really big directors who suddenly think, oh, this person's a bully. They, you know, they're, yeah. they're, that's what they, they they just like to shout. And then you have to learn to protect yourself in those yeah. Yeah. and sort of not be intimidated by it because yeah. we are, we do want to please, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes absolutely. we have to sort of protect ourselves at this desire to please someone all the time yeah. 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 And, and make sure that we're, we're being true to our character and ourselves in 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 the, in the process. Yeah, yeah. And what it's, about uh, theatre for you? Because I remember seeing you in The Sea, the Edward Bond at the National. Yeah, which is great. Is that a desire for you? Do you have any desire for that? I I, I do because I I did it again recently. Um, uh, after after not doing it since The Sea. I mean, mm-hmm. our, the closest thing I'd done was the Anomalisa on stage, mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't really theatre. But it was it was on a stage. I had a dressing room, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but after, after actually straight after doing landscapers, um, I I went and did. Um, uh, as we started to open up again, we uh, Danny Mays and I did um, um, Pinter's The Dumb Waiter. That's right. Uh, yeah, the that's old Vic and opened up the old Vic after something like five hundred and sixty days, or however it had been long, it had been dark for, um, and. It was kind of ideal after all this time. It was a two-hander. It's a one-act play. It's Pinter, and it's the old Vic. And it was a short rehearsal time, three weeks, and uh, yeah. and, and it only ran for a week, I think. Uh, and it was filmed. It was one of the last things that streamed. You know, we were filming yeah, yeah. it as well, and it was done um, for that also. But for the first time, there was an audience also in the theatre. They'd been doing these things at the old Vic uh, for for people at home. Um, I forgot what it's called. Live. It had a name. Uh, but you know, basically filming the filming the show, which which was a new thing for everyone. It was Jeremy Heron who directed it, and he'd never really shot anything on on with a camera before. And it's a kind of skill that's only just been learned, really. And we mm. were rehearsed it in our rehearsal room as a piece of theatre. And then it goes a little strange because when me and Danny got on stage, and we got on stage sooner than one normally would, because as you know, often you don't get on stage until you do the technical rehearsal which is often like a day before the dress rehearsal, day before the first, you know, preview. Mm-hmm. 
which is, I remember used to be terrifying. Um, but we had the theatre for about a week before that because we had to work out how it was going to be shot as a live piece of theatre. So it was a uh, hybrid? It was a hybrid, and it was a little confusing because suddenly we had to start thinking about the cameras and being directed to think about the cameras. So take a little step back there and turn mm. around. When you do that, can you look over there? And it's like, oh, oh hang about. This is theatre, mate. You can't don't tell me to look over there when I do that because we just get... And when you look at yourself in the mirror, can you tilt the mirror a little bit? I'm like... I can do it now in rehearsal. If you think on the night, that on mirror, the night, that's not I'm what I'm going to be that. thinking about. I've got then. a big speech here. I'm, I'm also doing my tie at the same time. You can sod the mirror, <laughs> <laughs> and I never did do the mirror. Uh, but it's a wonderful play, and 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 I and I it really gave me the yeah gave me the bug back, and I and I uh, you know I'm significantly older now, and you worry your memory is not going to hold up as you get older. You hear horror stories as some older actors. You know, drying. And yeah. anyway, it wasn't a problem. I've, I've got a good memory for lines. And um, did it uh, whet your appetite to come back? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would really like to do something quite soon again. Um, you know, but it and was what great. About writing it was a, a play? play. Is that is writing a play anything that is? Um, I've thought about that. Yeah, I have thought about that recently. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't have any definite plans. Well, I'm, I'm just... available from. The last time I saw you was it was in the the Hangman. Oh, it? that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. The last time we actually saw each other, because um, I'd not seen you on stage before, and I was and I, and I was a bit a bit jealous of that because I was like, there you are, you. And I I wished I was doing that. I remember seeing you backstage afterwards and thinking, I want to. I want have people coming to see me backstage. Yeah, but that was that was one of those ones that was like it should have come with a bow on it. You know, it was just yeah, a gift, yeah. and it, yeah, was, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was it was a fantastic Martin McDonough piece. Yeah, well, he's he's, he's, he's another hero of mine. I must you say, you know, you he's, didn't yeah. you looked at it and you thought every full stop, every sort of yeah. you know, comma is there for yeah. a reason, and just all I have to do is go for it. Really, when was, it was last time you'd done theatre before that? So before then, God, I don't know a while, but then after that I did Julius Caesar at the um, mm. at the bridge and then I did a play at the Royal Court, The End of History, a Jack Thorne play, which I really enjoyed. So, yeah, yeah I, I tend to go back and forwards every couple of years to the theatre and, uh, I mean, I could do it a lot more if I, if I could afford yeah. it. <laughs> but, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think that's, that's definitely in my, uh, in my trajectory right now to, to do that. If, it was, if I got a phone call this afternoon, it was the right thing, I'd say yes. Right. Um, and just on that, on that though, just to, just to wrap up a little bit, there's a couple of things that I always touch on a little bit, and one is this idea of nerves. Mm. Uh, do you suffer from nerves? Is it something that uh, you you feel when you're going into a job? Sometimes, obviously, in the theatre, but in in film and television as well. Um, not really so much these days, apart from, well, I mean, in theatre, yes. I, I was nervous when I did the Dumb Waiter Gangs after not done it for so long. But I remember that's all part of it, you know, and that's, yeah. that's kind of the, the kick of it, isn't it? And then you're nervous in those moments just as the music's playing and the lights are going down. That's when you're really, really... But once the lights go up, you're doing it and you haven't got yeah. time to be nervous things. It's like, well, you're, you're doing it. You have to just do, you know, all 100% concentration is on that. So if you can bear those few minutes in the wings before you're going on, without throwing up, um, and I've seen people do that, um, mm. then it's okay, and it's wonderful, and, of course, the, the exhilaration of the end. Uh, um, but I, I, don't, I don't really get it with film. I sometimes get nervous before something begins, but that's more about I'm hoping that it's going to be okay in terms of the people I'm working with I'm going to get on with. Yeah. I hope there's no one I'm going to have a problem with for whatever reasons or someone who's going to really bug me and... Yeah. I don't know, it rarely, 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 rarely happens, but 
because it does. It's important to say that, isn't it? Though that it does rarely happen. I mean, yeah, yeah. We hear so yeah. many horror stories out there. Oh yeah, and you know the 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 time. You know, I've been an actor for a long time. The bad experiences I've had with people. Yeah. I can count on the fingers of one hand. You know, yeah, it just, oh, yeah, it, sure, it's so sure. rare. Mostly, yeah. like you said at the beginning with landscapers, you know, your cast and your crew, they all want to be there and they all yeah, want yeah. you to be great. You yeah, know, they want yeah. to be great, but they want you to be great as well. That's that's yeah. the norm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing is, this is twofold really, but yeah. one is about reviews. I mean, do you read reviews? Do they do what what what's your relationship with the critic and the reviewer? Um, yeah, I, I do. I, I do. I, I remember the actually thing about theatre was thinking that would be one thing that would probably put you off thinking, imagine doing a play and it's like a six month run and it gets reviewed and they go like, yeah, it's, it's all right. Like that. It could be a lot better if David Thewlis wasn't in it you know, or, or whatever, or, or you get, you just get a terrible review basically. Yeah. How do you get on stage every night after that? I, I, I've got to say it's never happened, but I've not done that much theatre. So. Yeah. <laughs> and in the dumb waiter, we uh, didn't really have a press night. The press night was more or less the last night because it was such a short run and, uh, and it was nicely reviewed anyway. But I was just thinking, well, that would be terrible. That would be awful. And I think I'd find it hard not to read them yeah. because I do read reviews and you sort of read them with half a closed Aye, uh, and it's dispiriting. But you know, if it's for a TV or a film, there's nothing you can do at that. It's point. not. It's gone. You know, you know. It, yeah. and I've had, I've, I've had plenty of them. You know, you, you've, I've done th- this thing of taking chances and always trying to, uh, you know, with your career and doing something new, as I've said, yeah. uh, and as you pointed out, you know, looking to uh, broaden your uh, scope. That can also lead you into some bad situations where you, yeah. you make bad decisions and you do something actually that you're not very good at. Uh, I, me, for example, doing an American accent. I've done a couple of things where I've done that, and it's and it was awful. But you um, take risks. You just got to yeah. take a risk. Yeah, you don't I mean, know until not, you try it. Got, yeah. Nothing got done without taking a risk. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. and you know, everybody's a crank with a bad idea until that idea becomes successful. Do you know what I mean? It is. Yeah, it's yeah. taking a chance. I think is always important. Yeah, yeah. And the last thing is just about watching yourself. Do yeah. you watch yourself and? What's that experience like? Do you do you, do you learn from that? Yes, I I do. I'm not one of those people who's like oh, I can't bear watching myself. It doesn't mean I like it or, or think I'm great, but I think it's just very important. You know, if if you're working in TV and film, uh, mainly because in the past I've been disappointed when I've seen in, in the early days I'd, I'd watch something afterwards and and be like oh I could have gone further or I should have pulled back what I thought I was doing isn't what's coming over on the screen. Mm. And if I could do it now, I would do it differently. Uh, so sometimes you get to actually, I think, do that in ADR, you know, when you yeah. people at home replacing the dialogue, dialogue replacement um, in a studio afterwards. Uh, and sometimes I think that I quite like that because you can, uh, you change can your vocally. performance a little. Yeah, yeah yes, I mean, yeah, you yeah, can yeah, vocally. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. a really good thing to say, though, about watching yourself because sometimes what you think you were doing on the day mm. you watch it and you go oh that thought isn't pro- isn't coming across yeah, yeah, yeah. how is that is that to yeah. do with the lens they're using is it to do with my thought but what yeah. is that yeah and i think and, and, and f- physically um um i i watch myself at the monitor sometimes yeah i do too yeah. early, early on especially if i'm playing something that's far from me or it doesn't have to be far from me and it's but um, you know, if you're playing someone, someone in the military or someone who has a very different body posture to oneself or, or mm. maybe whatever it may be, 
and to make sure that what I think I'm doing and what I look in the hotel mirror and see is coming over then on camera and I think I'm stood super straight and looking fantastic. And they look in the look in the in monitor and you think, no, I need to do that more because I don't believe that I'm a soldier. I don't believe I'm a policeman or I don't believe I'm whatever I'm supposed to be. But also um, I, when I watch the monitor, what's real, and I do that all the time, yeah. is I like to see the frame. I like to see the color. I like mm. to see the tone of what the director and the designer and everybody is setting up. Yeah. I like to see and then think, how do I fit into this picture? Yeah. How, yeah. how do I put myself and my character in there? Yeah. And that's really, it takes me out of the isolation that I feel yeah. and the isolation I have. I can see the picture of what this, this, the whole thing is happening and myself in there. Yeah. And I never yeah. did that more so actually than on, um, on landscapers yeah. but for, for that very reason that you're saying, mm. because how is this looking? It's not straightforward. Uh, he's using extraordinary lenses and filters and, and backdrops and projections. And therefore I need to fit into that because I can't just, method this one because it's impossible to you know i'm aware that i am a sometimes almost cartoon in this frame um and you know i mean there's a strange moment in landscapers i'm actually myself i've never done that before it's just one shot i'm not even sure it's clear but it is just supposed to be me because if yeah. you look i've just got my no i've got the character's costume on but i'm maybe it's not clear maybe there's a difference <laughs> but but there's a shot and, and actually olivia didn't want to do that she didn't want to she didn't want to be olivia a, i remember that it's yeah, really interesting yeah, that yeah. you see you as actors yeah yeah and i think that's great and yeah. but i think there's so much of that going on it's great to come full circle with landscapers because yeah. it, it was as i said before it was a groundbreaking piece of work for me interestingly that it was directed by someone who's also an actor yes but yes, i think yeah. i think there's some, because there's a trust of the actor in it which is real that you can do this, yeah. That you can be brave, you know. I mean, there's there's something in that that he hands it to you, yeah. And uh, and I, I thought it was a wonderful, wonderful piece of work, real game changer. Yeah. And at the you know, because it works because you and Olivia and the other actors, they they really invest in the heart and soul of their characters, even with yeah. the affectation. As yeah, yeah, on top yeah, of it. yeah. And, and believed in it. Believed it was good. I think we yeah. knew it was good. We, I didn't. It's an arrogant, but I think we thought this can't really fail, can it? Because it's so well written. It's so we, we knew Will was very, very. He's a very confident young man. Very, very confident. But also it, it emanates think, from him. I think it's uh, one of the things that can't really fail. Is that sense of like. People might not like this, but that's not yeah. failure. We are delivering what we oh, want yeah, to yeah. do. I remember when I did yeah. Blackpool, I thought people might hate this, but I know what it is and we know yes, what it yes, is. Yes, yes. And so yeah. if I look at it and think that works, if nobody likes it, that's up to them. That's yeah, taste. Yeah, 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 that's not yeah. anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I felt that about landscapes. It had such a surety of, of purpose and tone. It was brilliant. Yeah. Can I just ask you also about, you know, I know you could just, Shooting Martha, your second book has come out, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah. When's is there another one on the way? It's, it's coming out in paperback in June as well. Right. Um, um, no, not at the moment. No, I've I've left it alone for a for a while. Um, right. Mainly because I was I was just working again. But I'm uh, I'm uh, yeah. Something something will click into my head soon. But I'm, well, I'm the just, late Hector uh, Kipling, which is your first book, I just thought was brilliant. Oh, so, great, 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 great piece of work. So I'm um, I'm um, you know you. you have many strings to your bow, and that's just it's such a great thing to be able to put out there. I love that book. So I, I must get shooting Martha in paperback when it comes out. It was so great looking through your work again. It's great to talk to you about it. Thanks very much. You too, mate. Really lovely to see you. Take care. Who am I this time? 
is a Just Voices and Dulali production. Produced by Simon Lennigan. Music by Greg Hatler. Edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. And presented by me, David Morrissey. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.